two, three. Welcome back, Holy Messes, to another episode of A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. Uh, I, I might do an intro for this, so maybe you already heard me say that. Who knows? I don't know. I don't plan these things. That's why it's a mess. That's why it's A Holy Mess. That's why I am His <coughs> Holy Mess. And of course, we're coming to you here last second. Uh, thanks to my friend, my good buddy. This week, I get to interview uh, a, an actual, like a, a real friend of mine. And, uh, but I'm not just interviewing because he's a friend. I'm interviewing because he is an inspiration. Uh, I think he has a great story. And uh, so welcome to the show, my good buddy, my brother in Christ, Matt D'Antuano. Welcome to A Holy Mess with his Holy Mess. Thanks, man. Thanks. And it's a mess for me, too. You know, we tried to plan this. It didn't work. And then all of a sudden, the last minute, it comes together. So you never know. It gets messy. Yeah, man. And let me give a, a great shout out to your like very blue headphones. Yeah. Uh, huge yeah. shout out. Awesome. I, I really like it. Uh, <clears throat> so that it's so messy that these are not my headphones. Yeah. If I was wearing my headphones, they're literally falling apart because they were my headphones and I've got nine kids. And so they all use them and they are literally at the piece. So this is my son's set of headphones that I just texted and said, hey, can I borrow your headphones? Hold on. So, all right, let's get this straight. One, you have nine children. Okay. Nine kids, yeah. You have nine kids. Two, you had to text him to ask if you yeah. could use it as yeah. his dad. I would have just said, Hey, I'm taking these and I am. <laughs> you know what? Uh, to, be, to be honest, that was my first thought. I did. I was like, I'm just going to take his headphones and use them. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about the lessons that I've tried to impart to my children about like, if it's not yours, don't touch it. And, uh, that's one of the, that's like the 11th commandment in our house. If it's not yours, don't touch it. And I was like, I should text him. So I just texted him a couple of minutes ago. And thankfully he said, sure. That's awesome, man. No, I, I would, yeah, I would appreciate if my father would ask me to use my things too, you know, cause I don't know, you know, you, you who, who knows my, I don't know about you, but maybe, you know, my dad might have lice or something. So I don't think you have that problem though. So anyway, um, there's nothing there. Yeah, for those that are listening, it's because he his head is shaved. I won't say he's bald. I'll just say his head <laughs> is shaved. I have a large forehead. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, if you're watching this, I can't get this shiny spot off of my forehead. Uh, I, I got these like lights. You can't see them, but I got these like lights booming on me, and I don't know how to figure it out. I don't have a producer. If anybody out there that wants to be my producer wants that help, just give me a shout. Let me know. Maybe with this episode with Matt D'Antuano because, you know, uh, maybe this one, Matt, this one will go viral because, because you, you, you have a story and a half show. Uh, I don't even know where to start with you, but I want to let the listeners know that uh, we know each other because I was assigned as a Catholic priest uh, at St. Elizabeth's in Wyckoff, New Jersey, back in the year 2012. It was my second assignment. And that is when I first met you because you and your family were parishioners there and right. you were a young guy. I was a young guy and I don't exactly remember how the friendship started, but we must've talked to each other outside of mass. And very quickly after we met, uh, I was so honored. You invited me. I think the first thing we did together was bow bowling. Was it bowling or was it going to your house for game night? It, I don't remember which one it was. You it probably was don't even remember either of those. I don't remember. 
Oh my! Well, I mean, God. I remember. No, I do remember bowling, and I do remember that you came to game night um, at least once, if not a few times. Yes. Yeah, and it was. Uh, I was in awe at that time, 2012. You didn't have nine children, but you had so, definitely had a few. Yeah, uh, maybe yeah. five. We had four, and then Maria was born in November of uh, 2012. Oh, okay. So when I first met you, then you had four. Okay, yeah. and now you, you've had now you have nine. I'm not sure if that averages about one a year. My, I'm not very good at math, um, <laughs> but we would say pretty much maybe about once. You know, every. 18 months, you have a child. Could we say that accurately? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After Maria, it was like 2012, 2014, 2015. And then it was 2020, Maggie, your goddaughter. And then. Yes. Um, I, am the, I am the godfather. The L, is it Padron? I don't know. I am the, uh, the godfather to one of your children. Uh, so that is one of the biggest honors that I, that has ever been gifted to me so thank you for asking me to do that yeah you're welcome. truly yeah all right so, so matt d'antuano we'll get into you know eventually you got uh married and and have kids and and all, and all that type of stuff man but where does your story begin like why are you such a devout faithful catholic you're not somebody that just goes the cath to mass on a Sunday and that you're just like a good man. What struck me about you when I met you is that you were like this really young dude, athletic looking, definitely worked out uh, smart man. You're a teacher, I believe a physics teacher, correct? Yeah. Okay. So you teach physics. So you're definitely into science. Um, my understanding is that you were not always Catholic. Is that correct? Right. Yep. All right. So <clears throat> yeah. Where does the journey begin for you in terms of faith? Did you grow up like in a religious household? Were you always a Christian? Uh, where, where do your origins begin? Yeah. So I grew up in North Plainfield, New Jersey, which is like central Jersey, right? South of us. And then uh, nominally Catholic. We went to church. I received all the sacraments, but there was never anything conscious about it. Um, never anything personal. I would, I would say I never had a personal relationship with Christ. I didn't really understand my faith. In fact, when I was in college, one time, my freshman year, one time, the one time I went to mass, I was on my way to mass with one of my rugby teammates. And you I forget rugby? how it came up. I played rugby in college. Yeah. Where'd you go? And uh, James Madison University. Okay. All right. Cool. And, uh, and I had just seen rugby and I thought it looked cool. So I was too small for the football team there. So I was like, oh, I'll play rugby. Anyway, so one of my rugby teammates and I, who were doing all kinds of non-Catholic things, decided we're like, oh, hey, we're Catholic, I guess, so we should go to Mass. So we went to Mass, and on the way there, I remember him, I remember asking him, hey, what's the difference between Catholics and the other Christians? And he said, um, Catholics, actually, I forget which he said was which, but the Catholics believe that Jesus was God and the others don't, or the others, the others believe that Jesus was God and Catholics don't believe that. And my faith was so well-formed that I just thought that was okay. I was like, oh, okay, that answered that question. <laughs> I had no, no clue, right? Nothing, nothing sank in for me. Um, so that was it. I was just nominally Catholic. I was, I was exactly the kind of Catholic that um, most people criticize and that Protestants pick on. They're like, hey, look at those Catholics. They don't even know their faith. That was me. Okay. Going into college. Going into college. Yeah. But when did things start to change for you? Well, um, at the end of my freshman year, I realized the emptiness of the party scene. I was 
I joined the rugby team and the rugby team is like a fraternity, just tons of parties, the whole, the whole thing. And at the end of it, I was like, this is like, this is getting old. The, it, I, the beer didn't taste good and the parties were just okay. It was just the same thing. Every I was like, there's gotta be more than this. And somehow I forget just in my connections, I had met a few people who were part of some Christian ministries on the campus uh, there were a couple of really big Christian ministries and not knowing the difference, they were Protestant. So I resolved that the following year I was going to start going to some of those ministries and figure out what is Christianity all about. Um, and over the summer I read a couple of books and uh, met another guy who was a rugby player who was talking about faith and stuff like that. So it all, it just sort of welled up and I had this desire, like God, now I know it was the work of the Holy Spirit pulling me in. And so I went to this, one of the meetings at the beginning of the year after it's like 400 college kids, this auditorium singing and basically like a little church service. At the end, I started talking to this guy and I said, Hey, I want to join a Bible study. And he's like, I lead a Bible study for sophomores. I'm like, I'm a sophomore. Okay, great. And I, I dove in, I started reading the Bible, going to Bible study. Uh, I quit drinking which was a real shock to the guys on the rugby team. A disappointment. Were you a big drinker? I wasn't a huge drinker, no, but I drank at all the parties. Now, during Um, this time when you were partying and drinking, if my memory recalls you, you had a pretty interesting nickname, right? I did, yeah. My nickname was Tank Top. Tank Top. Now, Tank Top, like like a kind of, you know. Yeah, Uh, yeah, like the shirt, the Tank Top. Uh, So (laughs) why, why, where did the Tank Top come from? Well, the the rugby team is like a fraternity and so everybody gets a nickname we had all kinds of nicknames on the team some appropriate some inappropriate uh, but that was just what we called them but the first week or two of of the year it was hot down in virginia and i just wore a tank top every day to out around on campus and then to practice and the guys on the rugby team just started calling me tank top that was it and it stuck it stuck so much that even my non-rugby teammates, like all my other friends in college, just called me tank top. And you met your wife in college, correct? Your I future did. wife? Yep. And when you first met your future wife, who is, who is now your current wife, sorry, uh, Emily, um, how did you greet her? What was the first thing you said to her? So uh, I had somehow, what was it? A fr- oh, a friend, one of my uh, physics, fellow physics majors were in a lab together. And he said to me, oh, you're part of that, that Christian group. Do you know Emily McGovern? And I was like, no, I don't know her yet. So, I mean, big, big Christian group on campus. So I hadn't met her yet. That Friday night, uh, someone, we were at a, a prayer meeting, and I heard someone say her name. Someone said, Emily McGovern. So I looked, and I, so I saw who that was. I was like, oh, that's Emily. Next chance I get, I'm going to talk to her. And the following night, I went to hang out with some friends and she was there. So I, I'm sure she was like intimidated, right? Here's this, you know, rough looking rugby player guy. I walked right up to her and I was like, are you Emily McGovern? She was like, yeah. So I introduced myself. I said, my name is Tank Top. And she's, cause that's just how I introduced. That was it. I mean, <laughs> I it had, that. it had taken I over. Yeah. I was like, hi, I'm, I'm Tank Top. And she was like, um, I don't think I can call you that. That's what she said. <laughs> So she never, she never called me tanked up. 
<laughs> right away. The first thing. Yeah. yeah, I love that story. That's why I said that. Yeah, yeah. I have tank yeah. top. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I could call you that. <clears throat> One time my sister called the house. I don't know why she called the house because I had a cell phone. But she called the house where I was living and she said, hi, is Matt there? And the guy, my housemate said, who? Who's Matt? And she's like, oh, tank top. It's like, yeah. It makes me think of like uh, the, the the movie Old School, which I don't recommend you watch. But back in the day, I did see it. And, uh, you know, Will Ferrell's character, I think he was like Frank the Tank or something like that. Uh-huh. Yep. I could just yeah. And they couldn't. Some of the older guys on the team did not. Uh, they didn't want to shorten the name. A lot of guys ended up just calling me Tank. But some older guys were like, no, we can't call him Tank. That's a different guy. Like someone already had that nickname. Got it. All right, man. So you're going. So you're you're in your sophomore year now. You start attending this Bible study, and then I cut you off. So what's oh, going yeah. on during that time? Well, I'm just I'm growing in my knowledge of Scripture. Uh, I'm growing in my knowledge of uh, the Protestant faith. Um, uh, halfway through sophomore year, I met Emily, so I'm getting to know her. We didn't start dating right away, but we started hanging out, sort of like friendship. We called it. And um, but another thing that was happening was that because I was in the Protestant setting. I was looking at scripture as I was coming to understand it from them and comparing it to what I knew about my Catholic faith, which was not much. And I was, so I was constantly hearing things, getting things like, Oh, the Catholics do this. That's not in the Bible. I'm like, Oh yeah. Right. And so I'm growing sort of in this anti-Catholic mindset. And not everyone was that way looking back on it now, but that was certainly a something that I was picking up that I was growing in. Um, Is James Madison a uh, Protestant school or just a regular? No, no, it's a state school, big, big state school, but it has, uh, it does have a Catholic ministry there. There's a Catholic ministry. I don't know how big it is now, but when I was there, it wasn't, uh, I don't think it was that big, that active. I get some information from them now, but I'm not sure exactly what the size is, but being in Virginia and having these ministries it attracts a lot of Christians, a lot of Protestant Christians, um, Presbyterian, Baptist, whatever, you name it. Okay. All right. So there's so a very, very strong Christian presence. So you're getting a, a bit of an anti-Catholic bias. Yeah. Okay. What happens from there? Certainly. So my senior year, I was a leader of the ministry. So I, I, my name was on the website and um, my email is there. I get this email from someone, a Catholic saying, hey, why don't you believe in the traditions of the church according to, and he cited a verse, it's in Thessalonians, one of the letters to the Thessalonians. And immediately, so he's Catholic and he's challenging me. So I'm like, great. So we start emailing back and forth. And this guy, um, now he's, he does quite a bit of writing himself. His name is Trent Beatty. He does interviews and writing for um, different uh, places. He's got a book called, um, was it Fit for Heaven? It's interviews with professional athletes and stuff. So anyway, it was him. He was a college student at the time. And he would do this. He would just email Protestants from websites that he could get and try to start debates. And most people would not keep up with the debates. It would fall apart. But I stuck with it. We sent over 40 emails. I mean, like long emails, multiple, multiple pages. And he's citing scripture and uh, responding to what I'm saying. I'm citing scripture and responding to what he's saying. Um, I look when I, when I looked back at the emails that I sent, I could tell what was happening was like language, right? I was speaking Protestantese. He was speaking Catholicese. We were just missing each other. 
Um, so coming out of college, I was in this debate with him, anti-Catholic. And uh, so that's, that's where it was at, at the end of college. Married Emily and did first year on staff with... Whoa, got, when, when did you, you marry her right away? So we married her, yeah, right away. Two weeks after we graduated. We got Get married. out of here. Yeah. Now, was, now I understand that, that uh, she's not the one being interviewed here, so you don't have to answer yeah. this question, but um, did she share your anti-Catholic bias at the time? I would say we didn't talk about it much. Okay. But as, as things developed, she did not have a, um, I would say, a really positive view of Catholicism okay. and of Catholics in general. You know, okay. It was similar, this sort of standard view that Catholics are usually the people who are religious in name only, but they don't really practice their faith. It's not personal to them, uh, superstitious, all of the normal sort of um, perspectives that Protestants have. Catholics. Okay. Yep. All right. I yeah. could appreciate. I could appreciate that. I was almost there at one point myself. Yeah. All right. So uh, you get out of college. You marry Emily. Two two yeah. weeks. Two weeks after college. So then we're we are on staff with um, uh, a Protestant ministry that her father is a minister of. Um, so he's we, a Protestant can we, minister. Can we say who he is or who he was. Yeah, George McGovern. I think you say, and he's on staff with Athletes in Action, which is a the sports ministry of crew. Um, so we were, my wife and I were leading Bible studies at Rutgers university with the athletes there working with another uh, minister there. And then we were doing some of the sort of behind the scenes work, administrative type work for her father. As but well. he also was the, uh, the chaplain to the New York Yankees for many, many, many right. years, correct? And the giants. Yeah. He, so at that time he was there for the giants and the Yankees. Okay. All right. Just an interest that he'd so, be a good, a good person to have in this podcast. Just saying. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. 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 It would be good. Um, and so he actually, because we were working with him, he signed us up for a class taught by Peter Kraft. Um, Peter Kraft, of course, Catholic convert, but he's well-respected by Protestants and Catholics alike. He teaches at Boston college, but um, at the time, I don't know if he's still doing this. He was coming down to King's college in New York city once a week and he would just teach a whole um course load a whole set of classes on wednesdays mm. and so there was a wednesday evening class that um, king's college was associated with crew my father-in-law's ministry so they let people know if they wanted to audit this class they were welcome to and it was the uh philosophy of c.s lewis and J.R. tolkien so we were just okay let's go audit this class we'll sit in and we'll do all the reading and everything but not just not pay for the credit. And um, <clears throat> the first the first night, I don't know how we were able to do this, but we found him maybe after he got out of his previous class and we invited him to dinner. So he came to, to dinner with us. And at this time, of course, I'm really anti-Catholic. Um, and I knew a bit of his story that he had converted. So I just during dinner said to him, hey, um, how is it that... Uh, you believe that we are saved by faith and works because you know, that that's the big thing as Protestants, we say saved by faith alone. And he responded so gently, but in a way that made a lot of sense too. He sort of explained the language difference between the way that Protestants often use the word faith uh, and also the word saved and how Catholics often use the word faith and the word saved. So Protestants often mean by faith, this sort of like everything, faith meaning trust, full trust. 
and saved meaning basically forgiveness of sins. And that for Catholics, faith is usually um, belief. You know, it's not, it's not encompassing everything. Faith is sort of separate from obedience in the way that we often use it. And saved means full sanctification, not just forgiven of sins, but free from sin, basically becoming a saint. Mm. Right? Mm. And so that's where he said um, a lot of the misunderstanding comes from. So that was like just a, a key that opened this lock. Like all of a sudden, it, it wasn't something that made absolutely no sense at all. There was, there was, it wasn't a complete heresy. So, so Dr. Peter Kreft, right? Is Kreft. 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 Yeah, we asked him. Kreft. Actually, we were taking bets on the way there. We were like, is it Kreft or Kreft? So we asked him. And it's and Kreft. He said, and he said Kreft. Kreft. Like A-Y, yeah. Yeah, Kreft. He's been on this podcast. Who has been on this podcast? He's on the podcast, yeah. Yes, a couple months ago. Um, wow. So Dr. Peter Kreft is the one who started to unlock the door back to Catholicism for you. Yeah. That's I mean, huge. that's not there a small was, thing. No, not at all. Not, not small at all. And there were some, some things previous to that too. Like I was reading St. Augustine. Uh, someone had recommended reading Augustine's Confessions, So I read it and he quotes a ton of scripture and he would quote some passages. I'm like, oh, I'm going to look for that. And I'm looking for these passages in my Bible and I'm not finding them. Like, What, what book is this? W I S right. Like this. Uh, and so I'm looking at different books and looking at the, and it's not coming up. And then I later learned that, well, that's because he had a different canon. His, he had old Testament books that he was referring to that are not in the Protestant Bible. Uh, so, well, just for our, our listeners that may not know, what do you, what do you mean by canon? So the canon is the list of books that belong in scripture, right? So Got the it. Old Testament canon is the list of books that belong in the Old Testament. The New Testament canon is the list of books that belong in the New Testament. The New Testament canon is the same for Catholics and Protestants. But for um, the Old Testament, there are a bunch of books and some passages from books that the Catholics have, we have in our Bible, but the Protestants don't have. Yeah, seven, right? There's seven a different. So the, the Catholic Bible has seven books in the Old Testament that the Protestants do not have. Right. Now, I don't forgive me for putting you on the spot. Do you happen to remember? Because I honestly, I cannot recall why right now. It has something uh, to do with a translation, right? In, in a certain century. When yeah, some, I don't remember the exact details of it either. The ba what it boils down to is that the Protestants removed those books from the Bible. So the, they were the Testament. They were there. The Old Testament. And the New Testament were both agreed on at the same time. There was like a couple of councils of Corth, uh, Orange, Council of Carthage. Yeah, by the Catholic the, Church. At the right? end of the 300s, yeah, by these councils, because there was some disagreement about it. And uh, the, so they had councils, they held these councils, and they decided, okay, this is the list of books. And the list of books that they decided on, New Testament and Old Testament at the same time, is what we have in the Catholic canon. And so then, the Catholic Church even though they didn't write the Old Testament, they, they put together and approved what we have today. Right. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Right. So, so the, the list... New Testament too. The New Testament, the New Testament too. And that comes was... into play when a lot of Protestants say, you know, uh, sola scriptura, right? right. Or, uh, or no tradition. Right. And yet, sola scriptura. Yeah, yeah, we can get into that. Um, so... Um, yeah, totally so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where I'm going at. Yeah. So he op he just kind of opened the door there. And at the same time, then I started reading some some philosophy under his guidance. 
um, or from his suggestions, of course, he would say, he'd mention names. So I would uh, read that. I wrote, oh, so I read a lot of uh, C.S. Lewis. I read everything by C.S. Lewis I could get my hands on, which was sort of like introduction to Christian philosophy. And he's a Protestant. That way. He's a Protestant, Anglican. So there are some beliefs that he shares with Catholics, like he believed in the real in the Eucharist. Uh, he believed in purgatory. In the real presence. Sorry, you cut out. He said he believed in the real presence. The real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, um, the purgatory. So he, Anglicanism is sort of like this middle ground between Protestantism and Catholicism. Got it. At the time. Yeah. So, so I'm learning to, to think a little bit more critically and to read a little bit more critically. Uh, and at the same time, I'm continuing some of my conversations with with Trent. Um, but I had, I had been on a uh, sort of a quest to disprove Catholicism from my emails with, with Trent. So I was continuing to learn. I'm continuing to read. And then there were some, some questions that came up that I began reading the church fathers. Um, Cause I realized that there were some questions that you just couldn't settle from scripture alone. So I wanted to see, okay, what, what was the perspective of the church fathers on some of these things? You know, the, the, the generation of believers, uh, the first generations of believers immediately after the apostles. Yeah. So that's who the church fathers are to the listeners. They're not the apostles, but they're like right after them. The, 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 the first believers, the, the writers, the, uh, who wrote a plethora about Christ and, and the church and the faith. And so that's what we were referring to as church fathers. Right. Yeah. So, so it was in reading them, and realizing that they were Catholic, um, that I began to realize that the Protestant perspective was was off and even uh, self-refuting on some points. Like, for example, sola scriptura, right? So we, I believe strongly in scripture alone. So the question was always, where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? And then I came to realize that nowhere in the Bible does it say that it has to be in the Bible? And so sola scriptura was itself something from outside of scripture. And so therefore it's self-refuting. Very interesting. Yeah. Sola scriptura is itself, it, sola scriptura came from outside of scripture. Right. And yeah. is that, was it, was it Martin Luther who uh, termed that phrase? It was either him or um, John Calvin. I think. Interesting. And it's, it's Latin and it means by scripture alone, you know, by. using, using scripture alone. So scripture is the only source of uh, theology and what we believe and practice as Christians. But scripture, but scripture itself does not say that. Right. And isn't it not true that there is a, a place, uh, I think it's in the end of the gospel of John where uh, the apostle John says that there are so many things that Jesus said and did that are not written in this book right and if they were all the libraries in the world would not be able to contain them correct right. yep yep that's it that's how the gospel of john ends yeah so do we, would that kind of re also refute that whole sola scriptura thing uh yeah it could you know that sort of seems to imply that those those things are handed down yeah in, in tradition so yeah. here you are you're you're uh talking to dr peter kraft you're reading the church fathers uh, C.S. Lewis, and uh, so are you starting to think that maybe 
maybe this Catholicism thing is, is maybe I need to become, well, you already technically Catholic, but right. you know, you're starting to think yeah. that, are you speaking to your, to your wife about this? Who's yeah. was never Catholic, but was Protestant her whole life? Nope. No. Cause I was, I was so confident that Catholicism was wrong that even as I was learning this stuff, I just wasn't discussing with her all the stuff that I was learning until I was already convinced. There was a point where I was already convinced of the truth of the Catholic faith. And I thought to myself, I need to tell, I need to tell my wife about this. And so I told her and she was not happy by this time, by the way, too, we had, um, we had two kids with us. We had who are, uh, came to us as foster children, by the way. You were so the four, uh, foster parents for a foster. little while. Yeah. Yeah. So the four older kids are adopted. They came through the foster system and we were foster parents. So we've got two foster children. And how many years were you married at this point when you came to her and said, I really think that the Catholic church is the truth. I think three, okay. three years. Yeah. Cause it was one. Uh, yeah. So we have That's a little bit of like a, like a, like a, like a Scott Hahn story within your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because as when I first became Catholic and I'm talking to people about this, they were like, Oh, you're like Scott Hahn. And I was like, who's Scott Hahn? <laughs> and, then I, and then I, you know, looked at, I was like, Oh yeah, that is because I wasn't even reading contemporary Catholics. I was just reading the church fathers and, and scripture and looking at that's how, stuff. that's what pulled him in too. So, yeah. Right. And so, and I, and I mean, I didn't know, but I thought, you know, I knew about Peter Kreeft and I think there was one other conversion story I had found when I was looking something up, but I was like, well, this church, this church is dead and there are not a lot of people here. Um, there's not a lot of life, but that's where the truth is. So I have to go. Like I need to, one of the things that struck me was C.S. Lewis in the beginning of mere Christianity. He says, you know, his book is mere Christianity. It sort of encompasses a lot of denominations, but that's not a good place to stay. Right. Mere Christianity is like the hallway but the denominations are the doors and you should find a room, find a door to enter. But he says, the key thing is not to look for the church that you like the best, but the one that is the most true as far as you can tell. Right. And so that always stuck with me. And of course, as I was reading C.S. Lewis and then started reading philosophy, Plato and Aristotle and be thinking about this idea of truth and what that meant um, that even if the Catholic church looked like a dead church to me, I had to go there anyway. And then I was delighted to find that there actually is life in the Catholic church. Right. And I tell, I tell that to my Protestant friends, like, well, yes, but there are these pockets. You know, once you find the pockets, there are people there who. Isn't uh, it sad that we need to talk about that though? It is sad. I agree. Because it is true. There is a lot of, there's a lot of dryness. There's a lot of deadness. There's a lot of unwelcomeness. Yep. But and that doesn't represent there really is. And I know the majority of people, they don't see this, but there are so many pockets, like you just said, I'll use your term of, of, of life, of communities, of, of people where it's like overflowing with joy and life. And I mean, yeah. I would have never in a million years ever considered being a, a Catholic priest or even a devout Catholic. If I did not meet Catholics that were on fire. Right. That were full of love, that were full of joy. Yep. There was nothing, you know, 
from me growing up as a little kid that I saw by going to church or CCD that was like, oh, this is great. Let me, you know, no, I didn't see that fire. I didn't see that springtime of, of, of church as John Paul II used to call it. But when I became a teenager and then there, uh, there was a, a new pastor that came to my parish, Monsignor Paul Bocchicchio, who's been on my show. And then I at Catholic high school with, you know, there was Father Michael Joel, Father Mike Jolie was the chaplain at Paramus Catholic. And then Justin Fatika, who I've talked about many times. These were the people initially that that showed me like, oh, there there are there are Catholics that are like really on fire and, and yeah. full of life and <clears throat> love and mercy and joy and. And, yep. and now being a priest for over 12 years, I, I've had the privilege of being in the presence of many different parishes, many different communities of people where the people are so much more on fire than I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah the, the lay people, I mean, uh, they, they blow me away with their inspiration sometimes. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> it's not just like the clergy are, are really into it. No. So. Uh, and that's so, what it took for. That's what it took for Emily. Because so, I'm explaining to her. Yes. Yeah, so, so how'd like, that go? She's upset. Yeah. She's upset. <laughs> upset. Um, and I think it was actually at, at Trent's suggestion that we find a church. He's like, look, there are good churches out there. And so we saw a sign for, um, I forget, I forget what they called it, but it was like this sign. It was like got questions or whatever. So I was like, well, maybe we'll try this out. I think it ended up like the neocatechumenal way is what it was at the, the church in, in Ridgewood. So Emily and I started going to that. And then Emily met uh, a community there of people who were Catholics who were on fire and who had genuine relationships with Christ, right? Because it's not even just being, uh, you know, what looks like superstitious, right? Because someone could be praying the rosary all the time and a Protestant is going to be like, oh, that's just superstition. That's not. But people who have a genuine relationship with Christ, right? And so that's what, that's what she found was people who realizing that, oh, wait, all this other stuff, right? the stuff that looks like superstition is actually how this relationship with Christ is lived out. And so she saw that and she was like, okay, I get it. She realized later as we were talking to her family about it, that there were other Catholics that she knew, but she didn't know that they were Catholics. They were friends of her dad because of his ministry. He was connected to a lot of people sure. who, were, who were Catholic, a lot of people who were involved. And so he was crossing denominational lines all over the place with the people he was involved in and pulling in to help his ministry. And he would say, Oh, this guy, you know, you know him, he's, he's Catholic. And she said, Oh, okay. Um, so, and thankfully because of his experience with that too, he was not, uh, he, or at least he didn't express it. He was not upset about the whole, um, conversion. He was very, uh, good natured and accepting about it. That's, I think that's really important. That's yeah. powerful. I think his, his primary concern was simply that, that we did have this genuine relationship with Christ and they were trying to get closer to him. So yeah. that's such a nice man. I, I am so grateful to have met him. And uh, he, uh, I, I was able to be the chaplain for the, uh, the XFL New York guardians for uh, a little while because yeah. of, because of him, uh, really yeah. because of you, uh, your suggestion. And, uh, and I've had coach Kevin Gilbride on this show as well because of the connection with your uh, father-in-law. Yeah, um, yep. the f former New York Giants two-time Super Bowl winner, uh, Kevin Gilbride. Yeah. So, all right. So, so you guys are going to uh, these communities uh, in uh, Ridgewood. She's starting to find some fire. <clears throat> um, yep. 
when did she because you were already catholic right so you didn't have to like yeah go through a program but did she like soon after that start going through rcia the right of christian initiation of adults it took a couple of years there was there was a little bit of a of a process for me because i was working at a private protestant christian school and um and you couldn't be catholic if you were working there right and so when i when i finally made the jump to become Catholic, it was like the beginning of the school year, or maybe even over the summer before the, the school year. So, so I was like secretly going to mass um, because I, I was aware, actually I had somewhere along the way, I had a conversation with the principal. I was like, there aren't any Catholics who work here. I knew there were other, other denominations, right? Um, Baptist and uh, Pentecostal, whatever it was primary, actually it was the high school that Peter Craig graduated from. Go figure. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, and so he, but, but nobody talked about him because he was the convert to Catholicism. So I said to the principal, I was like, there's no Catholics here. Why is that? And he says, yeah, it's something in the bylaws. We can't hire Catholics. He says, whenever they have a Catholic applicant, they have to turn them away. I was like, okay, well, I see where this is going. <laughs> uh, and so I, at the end of the year, when it came time to sign the contracts, I signed my contract, but I included my own statement of faith. Because that's what I knew other teachers did. People who were not Protest or uh, Presbyterian, they included their own statement of faith. So I was like, I'm going to include my own statement of faith. But I kept it vague. And then they pulled me in. And they were like, what's going on? And I said, I'm Catholic. And they said, okay, we, we can't accept your, your contract. Okay. But they didn't want to cause any fuss. So they said, if I could just keep it quiet for the rest of the school year. So I did. I didn't say anything about it. Um, and then, so like the day after graduation, I emailed all the teachers to let them know what was going on and explain to them why I wouldn't be back the next year. So there were, we had to get, we had to get through that. And I forget where, oh no, it was during that year that, that we- hurtful to you? Um, I was, I was prepared for it. I saw it coming because, because of my conversation with the principal and hearing about the bylaws, I, I expected that. Huh. Um, I wasn't happy about it. I would have, I would have liked to stay there, but, um, but you, but professed, that yeah, you professed what you believed. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I don't know what our laws are in the Catholic church. I wonder if like, we're allowed to let someone go cause they're Protestant. I mean, I feel like that would like make the news or something, but <laughs> I could be totally wrong about that. I, I could be totally wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Uh, so now so you, Emily, Catholic so, yeah, without a job. Catholic and without a job. And we've got two foster children. Um, so I, at that point, I went back to school full time because um, I didn't have a, a teacher certificate, but I had a degree in physics. So I stuck with that. And I started working on philosophy. So, I, you know, through Craved and then reading C.S. Lewis and then picking up Plato and Aristotle, I was, I mean, part of the real draw to philosophy was the apologetic application of it, using ideas, looking at evidence just looking at human experience and being able to come up with things like, well, this is, this is what ethics looks like. You know, we can prove the existence of God. That's, that's all philosophy, right? Apologetics is sort of like applied philosophy. So apologetics to people listening for the first time, it has nothing to do with an apology uh, or being sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, I'm just so aware of that. I'm not trying yeah, to cut you yeah. off your time. I, I do this every episode whenever I think someone says a term that some of the listeners may not be aware yeah. of. I just try to explain it to them. Apologetics is more about uh, a defending and explaining the faith, correct? <clears throat> yep. 
Yeah. And I, uh, so I, I run the philosophy club with my students uh, at the high school where I work and we read passages from Plato's apology. And I have to explain to the students, this is not Plato saying he's sorry or Socrates saying he's sorry. This is his defense speech. He's in court, right? So yeah. Plato's apology is Socrates' defense speech. Can I, can I just put the pause button on for one second and sure. just ask you what, why did, what got you into physics? Uh, why, why is that what you majored in and oh, yeah. you wanted to teach? Um, so I was, I was always good at math in high school, in school. I was always good at it, but I never, I never liked it very much. And I am going somewhere with this talking about math, not physics, but I always liked it. And then when my senior year, I took physics and I was taking physics and calculus at the same time. And all of a sudden math, math started to make sense. Like everything was kind of pulling together and seeing how math was used to explain physics and how mm. mathematical insight could be used to just describe the world around us. And uh, so it was that, it was the beauty of physics. I didn't, I didn't know this, I wouldn't have called it this at the time, it was the beauty of physics that, that drew me into uh, physics. And so my senior year, I think I had already applied to a lot of schools undecided. Um, so then I had to look at the ones I got accepted to and say, which ones had physics. Um, That's awesome. Physics man. majors, yeah. And now, now, I mean, fast forward, um, I'm starting work on a PhD in philosophy, but the, the topic is beauty, beauty in physics, because this is something that physicists talk about all the time, the beauty of physics. And so philosophically, like, what does that mean? Does that make sense? And then, now, if you were to give me a copy of your thesis, would I be able to understand two sentences? <laughs> Probably a couple of sentences. Okay, I mean, good, good, good. You know, I, I I'm to, so intimidated when there. like people talk about stuff like that because I, I don't even know. I hardly know what physics is. I mean, I'll just say that. But that's fascinating to me that you – because a lot of people, they don't think that – they that, like, people actually still think that the Catholic Church is like you know anti-science. They, oh, yeah. they still think that. And they, you know, they're always quoting like the whole Galileo thing you know, or yeah. what they think happened with Galileo, and they have no idea how – pro-science you know the catholic church is right. uh certainly today so i i just wanted to know why you got into physics and where yeah. you know that that's coming from um and the beauty of physics i would like that would be actually something that i'd be interested in in learning about or reading or at least having you yeah. uh, read it to me but anyway so uh joking about that last part so um all right, so there you are now, and you're you're Catholic without a job. Uh, oh yeah, so I'm studying. Yep. Yeah, I went. So I went back to to college full time, and um, so I'm studying philosophy at William Patterson University. So I'm going there, and then, but I'm working at the same time on getting my teacher certificate. Got my physics teaching certificate, and there was a job opening in Hackensack, halfway through the year. So I applied and I got the job. Great. So so that's that's how I started my. Um, public school physics teaching career, finished the degree in philosophy, and then did a, a degree in uh, a master's degree in education, because that's what teachers do, get the master's degree, and it helps with the, the salary. How many degrees sort of did you have? Um, well, I'm up to four now. And that's, and now I'm working on the PhD. Because then the PhD while having nine children. Yeah. And you teach full time <clears throat> in a public school. Yeah. And I do great books, great books, discussions for the Angelicum Online High School Academy. And you have also written how many books, which we haven't even gotten into that yet? Um, well, some of them are short, but six. Six books. 
six books. Yeah. yeah. I've got another one that is still, I'm like collaborating with someone and I'm so. Mama Mia. So when I met you in 2012, I believe you were teaching at Hackensack high school. Right. Yeah. Correct? That's what I had at that time. Yeah. All right. So let's just, again, hit the pause button slightly. What interested you and Emily in becoming foster parents at first? Did you, and, and, and if this is too personal, yeah. I, I apologize, but was it because, oh. um, you know, instead of me saying anything, why don't I let you just say it? What, why did sure. you start uh, foster fostering? And then how did that lead to adoption? Yeah. I remember very clearly us having a conversation when we were engaged about adopting children. I think Emily had had a long time desire and heart for adopting children. And so we discussed it um, when we were engaged this one evening, and we just decided that that was going to be a part of our family. We knew that that was something on God's heart, um, and we wanted to be able to be a home for, for children, um, whether they came from us naturally or, or by adoption. When we first had our home, Emily said to me, what do you think about being a foster parent? Now, my idea of a foster parent was like this single mother with like bunk beds and eight kids living with her or something like that. I hadn't thought about the idea of foster parents being uh, a family mm. that are just taking a kid or a couple of kids at a time. And immediately I knew once, once I kind of got the right picture of it, that that was something we had to do. I said, absolutely. You know, it was, it was right along the line of um, the adoption thing. And so we were, we were foster parents we were foster to adopt, which meant that we could foster or we could adopt. Obviously, there's much more of a need for foster parents than for adoption. But we could have children that would be foster. And then if they became available for adoption, we'd be able to, to take that on. And so when, our first, when the first two kids came, um, they told us, okay, the kids will be with you two weeks. That's it. And then they're going to go be with an aunt. And then something, something fell through with that. And the oh, so fostering to... can be that short. It could be that short. Well, it ended up being three years before the adoption was finalized. Got but it. yeah, fostering could be sometimes there are some people who are foster parents just for intake. Like the kids just need a place to stay for a night or a couple mm. of nights before they're placed with a more permanent foster family. Got it. But yeah, it could be two weeks, just like they're with you until they can get the paperwork done for a relative. And then they go to be with the relative. Interesting. So yeah. You were told two weeks. Right. And now they are your adopted children. They are adopted children. That's powerful. 16 years later. Wow. So, <laughs> uh, okay. So you adopted the, all right. So that you adopt, you fostered the first two and then you had, you got two more. We got two more. Yep. So right before we finalized the adoption with Now, were you them, trying to also have children naturally? Yeah. At the time? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we had, Emily and I had decided to, in our talk about adoption, we had decided that we didn't want to have natural children and then adopt. We wanted them to all be mixed together. So we didn't want adopted children to feel like they were an afterthought. We wanted them to, to know that. So it was planned that way. Intentional. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It wasn't like you guys were struggling with fertility and then. Right. Got it. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, we did, we did struggle with fertility, but we didn't realize that until later on. Cause I mean, we had our hands full with the two, the two foster children. And then we got two more. And in the midst of that similar thing, it, it looked 
after a little while, like uh, Jerry and Tyson, it looked like they were going to go, uh, you know, the third and fourth. It looked like they were going to go go back. And we love these kids, and that was heartbreaking. And then we're looking at, okay, well, you know, why haven't we gotten pregnant yet? Um, Emily did have a couple of miscarriages very early on, mm. but um, so we went to see a a uh, you know fertility specialist, and he told us that really the only chance that we had of getting pregnant was doing in vitro fertilization. So we had a very low chance. It's very unlikely we'll ever get pregnant naturally just do in vitro. And we were like, uh, no, that's not, that's not for us. You knew, so you knew yeah. that already. You knew why the church taught. Yes. Not yeah. to do. Okay. And it, and it made perfect sense to us. We were like, okay, that, um, you know, just the, and that's one of the, amazing things to me about like what philosophy can reveal is that it's what's right is what's natural. It's the way that the human is built. Right. And just the nature of human interaction, the way that humans are generated, that's what's, what's best. And going contrary to nature is a violation of, of the human nature of the human person. Um, and in this case, human sexuality and uh, reproduction. So, so we were like, yep. Okay. Well, we're not doing that. And it was within a year of him telling it. Oh, and he get this talk about um, marks against the Catholic church. Cause we, we told him no. Um, and we explained why briefly. And he was like, well, I'm Catholic too. And if you want, I, I have some, uh, some priest friends that you could talk to and they'll explain it. It's really, it's okay. And we were like, um, <laughs> No. Yeah, not going to be able to do that. Gonna, yeah. Kind of like what well, Emily said, that, that she can't call you tank top. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> not fine. Uh, Interesting. He said, I'm Catholic and I have priests that will tell you why it's okay. And that right. is dangerous because there are, there are Catholic priests that teach contrary to church teaching. Yep. And we would call them heretics. Yeah. Anyway, heretics. no. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, they probably don't know that they're heretics, but they yeah. are. So anyway, uh, please pray for them and their souls. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. um, wow, man. Was so, within, within a year of him telling us that we were pregnant with, uh, Maria. Yeah. See, I've heard so many times over and over again of doctors saying, you know what, you're just, you're not going to be able to get pregnant. You'll never be able to get pregnant naturally, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, um, uh, you are pregnant, but the child's never going to make it, so you might as well terminate. Right. And, you know the the patients you know, like saying, "Yeah, no, uh, that's not what we do." And then you know, next thing you know, their child is completely healthy, or uh, they were told that they can never get pregnant naturally, and then they did. I'm not yeah. saying that there's not cases where the child is not healthy and where they actually don't get pregnant. I'm just saying I've heard of many times of you know Catholics saying that they were told one thing by the medical profession and then the complete opposite came true. So God is in charge. Okay. <clears throat> not the doctor, even though we love science, but science can only measure uh, science is not the end all be all. Right. Amen. Yes. All right. Amen. So, um, when did, when did Emily come into the church officially? You know, I'm trying to put together the year because she was, she Catholic when you met her or was she still in RCIA? Oh, Definitely. I don't know. I, I think I, I just assumed she was I think I assume she was Catholic. What year did you get married? Maybe maybe it was right before that. We got married in two thousand four. Oh, okay. So, so I made eight years before I even met you. So Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting. So, all right, but she did. She went through it, and she she okay became Catholic and all that. And she was, and she was, and she was happy about it. She didn't do it begrudgingly. You know, she needed some time, so it was a couple of years before she decided to jump in and go through RCIA and uh, join the church. But, um, but she did, and now now she loves our Catholic faith. You know, so we homeschool the kids, and she. Not always, we, though, right? Yeah, we haven't always home uh, homeschooled the kids. We yeah, um, so let, let's get into that. Let me let me. Um, did you plan on having as many children as you have? Are you open? Why, basically, uh, why do you have nine children? Some well, people. Well, let me just yeah. ask you what the world would ask you. Let me just uh-huh. ask you the the way the world's going to ask you it. Okay, why? Like, let me just say um, why? Because some people will listen to this will say, why in the world do you have nine children? Why would you do that to yourselves? Why would you do that to them? Um, you know, how could you possibly take care of that many kids? I don't believe any of what I'm asking you. Okay, right, I'm right. literally asking yeah. why the world would would say this to you. Um, right. So, can you please answer? Yeah, we didn't have a plan. We didn't plan on having nine kids. Emily always wanted a big family, but um, all nine children we don't have on purpose. You could say. Even with the foster children, we didn't know that we were going to get to, to keep all of them. Even having four adopted children, that, that alone is a lot. Uh, but that was, we were, we were open to it. And as we thought and prayed about it, we said, this is something that, that we need to do. We're just convicted about it. Um, and then, why, why was uh, like contraception never a possibility? Um, well, because, again, the, the interfering with the nature of the way that the human body is made mm. you know, that, that contradicting that cutting off the fullness of what something is made to be. Um, and, and so for me, it was like the reasoning made sense and it was the teaching of the church. And so I believed in the authority of the church faith and reason. and reason. And it all, it all made sense even from a, just a reasoning kind of perspective, how it all fit together. And as you just said, um, I didn't know this or whatever, but you just said some of your children were planned, some were not. Right. But yeah. each one you fully accept. And right. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. And each, now, but. yeah. Each one, each one is a gift. Um, praise God. We, cause after Maria, we thought about what that doctor had said. It's very unlikely you'll ever get pregnant again. So we weren't, uh, we were, we weren't doing anything to prevent having another child. And then all of a sudden she was pregnant again. We're like, wow. Okay. I guess this is, um, <laughs> this does work. And, uh, and so really at that point, I don't think any of them were, were planned. Uh, so here we are. So how are you able to take care of them all? How do you, and like, cause you and Emily, you're, you're two people, right? Uh, you have a full-time job. Uh, you are a, a teacher at a public high school, physics teacher, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Um, and I believe Emily, she stays at home and she uh, homeschools the children. Yep. So yep. what is it like? How is it possible to be parents to that many children and to be good parents, provide pr- uh, providential parents? How is uh-huh. that possible in your household? I mean, financially... Because that's, I think, when I hear people say that, I think financially that's what they have in mind, right? Like, how do you how do you pay? Well, we're we're frugal. We don't spend a lot of money 
on extraneous things. We, the home we live in now is a pretty good sized home. We've got a lot of property, um, but we live way out West in New Jersey. So we were able to afford it. Um, but yeah, when I met you, you did not have what you have today. No. Yes. Not at all. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've just been responsible with, with our money and, uh, and we take care of the children and providing for them is the, the first thing. We don't have to spend lots and lots of money to provide for, for children. Um, we also get hand-me-downs. <laughs> like, like people at church will be like, hey, we've got some clothes for you. And they give us these bags of clothes, right? So it's also part of the community, um, community provision. And then in terms of every day taking care of the kids, uh, part of it is that the kids are able to help each other. You know, so some of the older kids will take responsibility for the younger kids. They're able to help with um, meals and with laundry and uh, the other things that go in the practical aspects of taking care of each other. And at the same time, they are then learning responsibility, right? Or older kids, they can, they can cook meals, they can do laundry, um, they can look after you. How, how old is your oldest? Oldest is 17. Actually, he's turning, he's turning 18 uh, at the end of this week. Okay. All right. So you're, that's unbelievable. Vince is turning 18. Yes. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. All right. And how old is your youngest? Youngest is one. So 17 and one. one. Yeah. Like roughly 18 months. So with Vince and Maya, Maya is your second. How old is she now? She's 16. So they help with the younger ones? Yeah. Yep. So it's a little bit like uh, I, the, you ever see the movie Cheaper by the Dozen? Yes. Yeah. With, uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly, yeah. but it's a little bit like that, right? Yeah. And some, some kids are better with the younger kids than others. Um, Jerry and Tyson especially are very helpful. Maria's 10. And she actually, so in our, our eight-year-old, she actually runs kind of like a mini school day for the two younger kids because her name is Claire, right? So, so last year, you know, so there has to be a lot of planning and structure that goes into homeschooling the kids. Um, the older, the older four, or the ones that are in high school, they're doing an online academy, online high school academy, the Angelicum Academy, where I do the, the teaching for the great books. And um, so Emily arranged for Claire to take care of Maggie last year. And so she was calling it daycare, but her name is Claire. So it was day Claire. So Claire, <laughs> Claire runs she like runs a school program for the three-year-old and the one-year-old and she gets them to sing songs and it's, uh, it's amazing. Day Claire, your eight-year-old. The eight-year-old. Yeah. She could, she could be hired as a teacher, like an elementary school teacher, That's but she's amazing. in elementary school. So it's kind amazing. Of a, amazing. Um, and, uh, and, and you, I mean, you, yeah, you have a long commute, you know, but you guys, you guys make it work. And here's the thing that I've, that I've seen, I have been over your, your, your house many, many, many times. I don't mean in particular that your current house right here, because ever since you moved, like, you know, you abandoned me, it's, it's a lot tougher to get, get to you. But when you lived in Ramsey and I was a parish priest in Ramsey, uh, I was at your house a lot, yeah. a lot. And, um, there was so much joy, like there was so much joy, not, not just in, in you or Emily, which is amazing that two parents, I mean, look, you guys are not perfect people, right? It's yeah. not like, oh yeah, I went to this house of, of, of living saints. And uh, by the way, I, I kind of do think that you guys are that, but I, living saints doesn't mean that like, you don't have struggles, that it's not stressful, right. that it's not hard, <laughs> that you don't want to just, I mean, you know, go out and scream or something like that. But 
you know, and it doesn't mean that your children, you know, are, are perfect either. Nobody is. Um, but I just love the, the joy that I experienced around your family. Really? I, I mean, you. your kids, I mean, just so, you know, loving and, and playful and, you know, uh, just if funny, I believe I was playing, you know, chess with one of your young children mm -hmm. and, you know, he beat me. And then I think it was like the next week I was coming over and I was about to play chess with like another one of your children. And the child who I played chess with the week before said to this other child, you're going to have to have a lot of mercy on father Paul. Uh, you're going to have to have a lot of mercy on him while, while, while you're playing chess. But even when, even 10 years ago, you know, um, before you had the nine children, when I believe it was just the four, uh, and I went over for game night, it was just such a, a fun, you know, like a, like it's just like a fun, innocent. I, it was just beautiful. I don't, I don't know how to express <clears throat> it. It was beautiful. I really enjoy being around you and Emily and your family, you know, um, it, it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. And I'm not sure if people realize that that could be very possible with a very, very large family, uh -huh. you know, yeah. and you, you make it work. There's mm -hmm. so many people that are like, Oh, just can't do it. You know, I have to have two or three. I mean, you know, I just can't afford it. Um, you know, me and my wife both need to work and it's like, well, your wife, although she's constantly working, you know, doesn't she have works a harder than I do. Exactly. 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 But even though you're the only one that's going, you know, that's out, you know, in a, you know, teaching all day or whatever, um, you're relying, I believe on one income, you guys make it work and you don't just like, you know, make it work and like barely get by. You have like a really great, beautiful family. Yeah. Not that <clears> I know <throat> the ins and, and the in, in, ins and the outs. Cause I'm, I know, you know, in your, it's messy. yeah, it's messy, right? Yeah. yeah. It's messy. And you're my friend, so I know it, it can get messy. You know that, yeah. I've, I've spoken to you, and you know about me. I know I know about you. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, whenever somebody says to me, I've said this on more than one occasion about like the whole multiple children or people just kind of stopping at like one or two or whatever, and the money thing comes in, I immediately was like, oh, one of my closest friends, um, only the husband works, and they have nine children, and they're like really happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, Thanks. Oh. oh, okay. Uh, so that's not a condemnation yeah. to anybody. Oh, yeah. People know that like, hey, it's right. possible. And it's a perspective. It's a perspective. It's priority, right? It's yeah. also yeah. what's priority. Yeah. And I mean, that, that area of New Jersey, that Northeast corner there, uh, that really the, the perspective is about just a lot of the, the stuff, you know? And that was one of the reasons why we moved away is that it's so easy to get caught up. Just the culture is so much about um, the money that is spent. And it's, I, I think most people don't even realize it, but we were, we were trying to live differently and we were looking at it and thinking about raising our kids there, continuing to raise our kids there. Um, so that was, that was part of it. The other part was simply that we wanted to move for the beauty of the country and to have a hobby farm. And so the kids could learn um, work, you know, so on top of all the other stuff, we have a hobby farm with the animals but the kids are learning. They're learning responsibility. Like every day they have chores that they do with the, with the animals. Every day. So every day. Every day. Kids have chores. They have, they have a chore they have to do every day. So the, the chickens and the rabbits, they get food and water from the kids. 
the last time that I was at your house by myself, because I've been there since, but there were you know other people there for uh, company. But I remember sitting with you and Emily outside, um, and uh, I guess like around a, a round table, or you know outside mm -hmm. the um, yeah the patio. You know, the anyway, so and I was asking you like, what would you do if you won the lottery? Because I think at that time you know, I guess the, the lottery was like one point something billion dollars and everybody was playing it. And my father was telling me to play it. And so I asked you guys what you would do. And, you know, you responded right away. I don't remember exactly what you said, but, you know, you basically said, you know, that, you know, you would obviously take care of, I don't know, maybe you're like your mortgage or your, you know, your family's mortgages. And, you know, you talked about giving a lot to charity, but like you, you weren't like, oh, I'm going to splurge and anything. It was basically like, yeah, we'll take care of the bills and we'll help out other people. And obviously, you know, donate to the church and charities and stuff like that. And then Emily, like, shocked me with her answer, shocked me because when you said something like, you know, well, like, yeah, you know, we would pay off our mortgage. And she said, well, you know, I don't know, because, you know, I know like, like the struggle's a good thing. You know, like the, the struggle, I think it's it's good for for one's life. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like I was put to shame, you know, like she, it just seemed like the holiest answer that anyone could ever give. Like, I don't even know if we would pay off our own mortgage because I know like, you know, the struggle is 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 good for one's one's spirit. <laughs> Something like that. And I, I want to quote her completely. Do you yeah, remember that? Yeah. Uh, I have a vague memory of that. Vague memory of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm like, here I am, <clears throat> you know, Catholic priest, like hoping I win the one point one billion dollars. Yeah, of course, I do a lot of good with it too. You know of what course, I mean? Yeah. But, uh, we all would. We all would. Exactly, <laughs> man. So, um, so okay. So you're you're a father of nine. Your your husband, great husband. Uh, you have a lot of animals. Uh, you are a physics teacher. You run philosophy clubs. You've yeah. written. Uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, books, uh, what, what else have you done? What can we plug for you? Like what, what, you know, next, yesterday I got a text from you of an article that you wrote in the, the national Catholic register. I didn't even know you wrote for them. Yeah. Um, so what are, what are some things that you've done, uh, that we could highlight and maybe we could just talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Well, the national Catholic register thing came from Trent actually Trent gave me the name of the editor. And when I first started writing the books, he said, hey, you know, if you write some blogs, it would be a good way. So I just started writing these blogs and they're, they're just kind of like reflections, whatever is coming to mind, whatever I'm thinking about that I think is important to pass on. I'll write it, I'll send it off and, and they publish it. And it's so I've been doing that for a number of years now. Um, we've got uh, a YouTube channel. <clears throat> I had I've just we haven't made any new videos in a long time, but we were making gospel videos. So the Sunday gospel reading. I wanted a way to prepare our kids for the Sunday gospel reading because of this idea that if we read the readings ahead of time, it's easier to pay attention and easier to get it when you hear it in mass. So I remember I asked someone, do you know of any resource where, you know, to do the Sunday gospel reading ahead of time and YouTube videos? And they said, well, why don't you do it? You make a channel and you do that. It's like, okay. But now we, we did the full three year cycle. And so I'm just recycling old videos, but that's yeah. there. So you did the three-year cycle every Sunday. Every Sunday with your kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And where? What's that YouTube? Where can they find that? Where could listeners find that? Uh, it's just I think it's just Sunday Gospel Readings. Uh, the name of the channel it was Mr. D four eighteen. So Mr. Mr. D four eighteen. 
Yeah, no spaces. I'll put, I'll put the link to that in the show yeah. notes because yeah. this will also air on YouTube. So we'll just okay. put that link to that on on there. Uh, and I have another. I, had, I made another YouTube channel because originally that YouTube channel was I was just doing philosophy stuff, philosophy sort of apologetics, and then it turned into the channel for the family stuff. Um, so then I created another channel that's more philosophy, philosophy, apologetics, faith. Um, so I'll record a video from time to time and, and put it up there. Uh, and what's that handle? So of course I chose, my name is hard to spell in the first place. And then I chose a name for the, for the channel. That's also hard to spell, but it's Donek Requiescat. Excuse means, me? Yeah, I know. I will <laughs> just Latin. There. Yeah, yeah. We'll put, we'll put the link there, but it's from St. Augustine's phrase, you know, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. So that until it rests, the heart is restless until it rests in thee. Until it rests, the Latin is donec requiescat. Until got it. it rests. So that's where I got it from. And I wasn't thinking about how difficult it is to, to spell at the time. Well, we'll just, that's a good thing about links. We'll just put the link to that there. <laughs> um, you said that you've written uh, several books. Uh, yeah. Do you want to highlight a couple of them? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're mostly philosophy. The ones, so the, my fourth degree, the master's was in philosophy from Holy Apostles in Cromwell, Connecticut, which is really nice because my bachelor's in philosophy was, um, was at a, a secular school. So I got secular philosophy, but at the, at the, at the same time, I continued to grow in my faith because I was able to pick out the good stuff, but to study philosophy in a, a Catholic setting was really beautiful, but they, um, asked, Hey, does anybody have any publications? And I had written a couple of books. I had a couple of uh, manuscripts. So I sent them and they said, you know, we'll, we'll publish these. So three of them have been published and they're mainly philosophy. One of them is, is just a very, very, very basic introduction to philosophy for young Catholics. I, I was talking with Emily. It's called a fool's errand, a fool's errand. Okay. A fool's errand. Cause the, here's the idea, right? So if somebody is already wise, they don't need to seek wisdom. Philosophy is the, the, the search, the pursuit of wisdom, right? So you have to realize that you're a fool in order to go on the errand of seeking wisdom. Mm. So philosophy is a fool's errand. I know it's usually a derogatory thing to say, oh, that's a fool's errand, you know, but uh, there are two kinds of people in the world. Peter Crave said this, the, the fools who think they're wise and the wise who know that they're fools. So for people who want to become wiser because they recognize that they're not wise, philosophy. So anyway, that I was talking with Emily one time, just talking about the riches of the intellectual heritage of the Catholic Church. I was like, I just wish there was something, some way to communicate this to young people so that they can be exposed to these beautiful and rich ideas. Because, um, you know, I wasn't as a kid. And I was like, well, you should write that book. It's like, oh. Okay. And I did like in 10 pages, I had a manuscript, but it's short and it's really basic. Uh, so that was, that was one. Another one was, a, just, uh, so that, that one, the, the basic introduction is a fool's errand. This next one is called the wise guy and the fool. Okay. Uh, and this one, as I was studying philosophy, I was coming up with these, um, sort of like short stories to illustrate certain ideas. Like for example, um, Somehow in the world, their skepticism and science have been linked, right? Skepticism, like skeptics are always appealing to science, like, oh, science. And then um, 
So, but I realized that those two are opposed to each other. So I imagined this like short story about two men and there's this like rock of common sense, right? This huge boulder and they've got plastic spoons and they're just going at this boulder. And one of them says, Hey, I'm science. Who are you? And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm skepticism. And they start talking and science starts talking about all the experiments and the data and how it works. And then skepticism starts backing away. Like we doubt all observation, but science obviously uses observation. So just like short stories to sort of illustrate um, some of the modern ideas and how ridiculous they are, but also the beauty of the faith, uh, the beauty of, um, you know, the intellectual heritage that we have in the, in the Catholic church. Where and can listeners, the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say for that one, uh, one of the friars did some illustrations for it. Brother, brother Francois. So when you say the friars, you mean the Franciscan friars of the renewal, the right. CFRs. The CFRs, Franciscan friars of the renewal. Brother Francois is one of the friars. Where uh, can people, artist. listeners and viewers find these books? So they're all on Amazon. Amazon, Matt D'Antuano. Matt D'Antuano, yep. Right? How do you spell that? D apostrophe. Yep. A-N-T-U-O-N-O. So D apostrophe A-N-T-U-O-N-O. And that's uh, a fool's errand? A fool's errand. And then the other one, the wise guy and the fool. The wise because, guy. Yeah. So the wise guy is the illustration of the fool who thinks he's wise. And so throughout the book, there are, there's a com short conversations between the wise guy and the fool. But of course, it's always the fool who's really wise, who has more insight than the fool who thinks he's wise. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, anything else? Anything else we could put for you? I'll put, I'll put, yeah, and you could send me different links or whatever, and I'll put them even if we don't have time to talk about it. I'll put different yeah. links to some of your resources in the show notes. Check sure. out the show notes, by the way. Uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to uh, like this, uh, uh, either whether, if you're watching, please uh, like this, subscribe to the channel, uh, please share. If you're listening on a podcast app, please uh, subscribe, download. Uh, please rate and review. If you have not rated the podcast or reviewed it, please do so. It, it definitely uh, helps and is surely appreciated. Uh, Matt, any anything else that we could touch on before we get going? Nothing else that comes to mind. Well, I'm sure great. there's more. I'm sure that I'm forgetting more. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to get going for something. Yeah. Uh, we've covered a lot. I think this is a beautiful yeah. uh, testimony, powerful story. Uh, there's so many Thanks. things that we could touch on, uh, even more things about, you know, maybe, uh, how the, the domestic church is lived within your home, you know, how Catholicism, I, you mentioned one beautiful way about the Sunday yeah. gospel, uh, clearly, I mean, you go to church with your family every, right. every single weekend. Yep. Yep. And I remember yep. when you guys were parishioners at St. Paul's and Ramsey, Emily and a couple of the kids that were not in the school, because at that time, some of your kids were in our Catholic school, when she would drop them off to the Catholic school, then she would come to mass with the little kids daily mass every single day. And I believe you still to this day go to daily mass. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't get there every day, because I live over an hour away. And the mass starts at 630. Um, but I do during the I school do get year, there. Yeah, during the school year, I get multiple times a week. I try to go. So amazing. Yeah. So well, I look forward to having you back on and I thank you for being Thanks. my friend. Uh, and yeah, thank uh, you. Thank you for being our friend and, and for your presence and, and witness to our family as well. Hey man, I, it's been a blessing. You guys were one of the greatest blessings to me. Uh, certainly at my, in my tenure at, at St. Paul's and Ramsey and just your brotherhood uh, really has meant a lot and is uh, still uh, very dear to me. So uh, Matt D'Antuano, thank you for being a guest. 
on a holy mess. I'm sure with nine children, your house often looks like a holy mess. Yeah, it is. Is that true? Yeah. 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 Well, Emily keeps it pretty, pretty neat, but just the, the interactions and the chaos, it's the people are a mess. <laughs> Amen, brother. Well, God bless you. Listen, I'm going to end this right now and then I'll say goodbye to you. Okay. Okay. All right. God bless. Thanks for listening to a holy mess with a holy mess. Download, rate, review, share, peace in the Middle East. Thank you for joining me for another episode of A Holy Mess Podcast. Please see the show notes in the description for this episode for more details and information about the topic and or the guest. You will find links and resources there to supplement this episode and help you along your messy but holy journey. Please also like, comment, subscribe, download, rate, review, and share all episodes. I want to thank Mike Mangione for providing me with the podcast theme song, Can You Love Me Falling, from his album Red-Winged Blackbird Man. Finally, please note that while me, I, whatever the grammar is, Father Paul Hulis, while I am a priest for the Archdiocese of Newark, a holy mess with his holy mess podcast is not affiliated with the Archdiocese of Newark in any way, including fundraising efforts. This podcast is purely the personal hobby, product, and evangelization effort of Father Paul Hulis. Please join us again next time for another holy mess of an episode. Peace! Yeah!